0: Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. I'm Justin Sloan. And I'm Paul Zidman. And this is a new one for us. I don't think we've ever had three guests uh, at the same time before. So three authors, uh, one project. Uh, so let's see. We got, I, I I apologize if I mess up your names. So, so Rich Hosek, Hosek? That's it. Hosek, first Hosek. time. Yeah, okay, right. we yeah. got Rich Hosek and we got Arnold Rudnick and Lloyd Auerbach. And let's, for just for clarity's sake, Lloyd with one L. <laughs> All right. Welcome. It's like a party in here. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Great to meet you. Uh, So before we get to uh, talking about your writing, uh, let's talk about uh, anything we may have read or watched uh, in the recent weeks uh, that may have struck a chord, good or bad. Uh, Who wants to go first to feel free? Yeah. You
1: Um,
2: know what? I I will, because I just, I just actually um, kind of kind of reread a book I read years ago. I'm listening to the audio version. Uh, There's an uh, author named Jonathan Carroll. Wrote a book called *The Land of Laughs*. When I first read it in the '80s, it was like it became it became one of my favorite books. And uh, I was just talking to someone else about you know favorite books recently, and I, I checked to see if there's an audio version. It's actually part of a Neil Gaiman presents uh, wow. series. Mm-hmm. So knowing that Neil Gaiman's a fan of it too, kind of like you know all right. So I've got some good taste here. And uh, but it's it's one of those books that just haunts you because it is it, it is almost perfect. Wow. It's, it's the right length. It's a story that grabs you and you keep on wanting to turn the page. to find out what happens and the ending is satisfying. And if anyone is looking for uh, a new author to get addicted to, I highly recommend it.
0: What uh, was what genres? I mean, if, when you say it's Neil Gaiman, it automatically makes me think of a certain kind of book. But I'm, I'm curious if it's something that you would not expect Neil Gaiman to say, hey, you should read this.
2: It's you know, it's it's kind of it's a little bit of horror, I want to say, because it's. It, but it's also got some sort of fantasy elements to it, urban fantasy, it's, it's but in a real, real fantasy, really. Okay. Um, so it's got some sort of fantasy and, and horror elements to it, but it's it's extremely well crafted, and um, uh, I just you know re- listening to it is adds another dimension to it too, because it just is one of those books. It's like I, I I'm surprised how much of it I remember, because usually when I read a book. I'll forget it, and I can read it like a few years later, and be go, "Oh, this is surprising what this is," but I know exactly what's going to happen because it really stuck with me, wow. and it's still enjoyable hearing it again. Just the way he he sort of pulls everything together, and you you get to sort of enjoy the interaction of the characters, just really well done.
0: It's in the land of laughs.
2: The land of laughs by Jonathan Carroll.
0: Wow,
3: sounds great. Uh, I have one. I'll jump in with nineteen twenty three. Uh, I've been. Ah. Uh, yeah, obsessing over this. For people who know me, I was a uh, hundred percent and still am, I guess, obsessed with eighteen eighty-three, which was the other Yellowstone spinoff. I'm not that into Yellowstone, surprisingly, but I love the two spin-offs with all my heart. They are equally amazing and some of the best TV I've ever seen in my life.
0: So go watch it. What do you Who's what next? do you think about uh the Kevin Costner's leaving Yellowstone? Uh I'm not
3: that (laughs) into Yellowstone.
0: Like I tried watching it and I just, it couldn't Mm -hmm. get
3: into it. I thought, okay, Okay. I see why
0: people like it, but it's not my bag.
2: It's kind of like- surprised he did television for so long.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's true. Uh, I will jump in next. Um, So uh, for the you three that I've slowly been working my way through my Netflix queue, like all those things that have been just sitting there for years and I never got around to watching them. Uh, And there was something from a couple of months ago that was supposed to arrive on- Tuesday of last week, it didn't end up arriving until Friday, and then we had a very busy weekend, so I haven't watched it. So I did try to s- squeeze in something, and I was just scrolling through HBO Max. I'm a big comic book fan, so I found uh the adaptation of Batman Year One, uh, mm-hmm. uh which is from 2011. Mm-hmm. And with amazing things that they got Brian Cranston to be Commissioner Gordon, and I, I didn't see the credits until afterward. I thought, this really sounds like Brian Cranston, so I had to look it up on IMDb. It's like, oh my gosh, how did they get Brian Cranston? I think this might have been like just as Breaking Bad was starting to build, or like this was like really before he blew up. But he does a great job, and I mean, I'd read the comic book uh, as well. So, and a lot of the shots are like pretty much recreations of the panels in the comic, but it was, it's really good. And I thought they did a really good job with it. And I enjoyed it. It's it's like, what, an hour, five minutes long. So if you just, you know, you're looking for something to have on in the background, you're folding laundry or whatever, you you can't go wrong with Batman.
1: Well, since you mentioned uh, that kind of movie, I watched actually the new Legion of Superheroes animated film last night that just came out. You know, a little little different take on Supergirl's origin, a mm-hmm. Little different take on the, the Legion as well. And there's a character that um, th- I wouldn't even give a spoiler for this, but there's something that happens in this that's completely different from the comic books uh, in a r- real big way, but it was a really good movie. Uh, I will just say if you watch the special uh, features afterwards, don't because it'll give you the spoiler,
0: unfortunately. Oh, wow. Is that I mean, on. i H- before, is is before, watching beforehand. Is so. that on disc or is it on HBO Max?
1: It is not on HBO Max yet. Usually they take about two months. I just watched the ah. Super Sons thing a couple of weeks ago.
0: Okay.
1: Um, it's on disc right now, disc and, and rentable, buyable, otherwise uh, for things. And as it happens, I just finished re- reading a four issue run of the Demon comic book from oh. 1992 in which they predicted, essentially, he was running for president
0: for the Republican
1: Party. And I got to say, it was like sending chills because the author apparently, he knew what he was talking about like 20 years ahead of time. Wow.
0: That is awesome.
4: Mr. Rudnick, what have you got for us? You know, I've been trying different things, binge watching, and I am growing to enjoy Poker Face, which is on Peacock. I believe right yeah and and i would definitely i'm going to keep giving it a shot the pilot i watched and did not love but i've grown into it i and rich and i had written a script way back for brandon tartikoff and the lesson we learned from that is he used to give family ties would not have been on the air if if it were today because people would just cancel things right away but a lot of shows we would give a chance so i do recommend if you start watching something to at least give it two or three tries and it's um there's something about it that i'm not loving which i I don't want to spoil but there's so much good about it the casting is amazing the writing the characters and it's kind of got that that highway to have an incredible hulk kind of feeling it's it's the the heroine is traveling across the country for reasons you'll see in the pilot and just helping people along the way and the, the gimmick of the show is um I don't think they even need it as much. Is she knows when someone is lying, like she just calls it out as bullshit. It's if someone says something, she knows it's a lie, but not always what the lie is, and so she has to right wrongs along the way.
0: Okay, so I'd heard it was a lot more like a Columbo type of That's thing. Yeah, where there's very a mystery. Much,
4: yeah, no, it's very much like Columbo, but what I what I'm comparing is the kind of on the road oh, and, okay. and the way you go to different locations each time which Columbo didn't do. I mean, he was solving crimes in, you know, it's got that investigator. She even practically delivers Columbo in some of the scenes, the way it's like, ah, one more thing. I, I love those those moments. But um, but I really like the fact that it's such an anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm also not, I, I'm going to give it a few more chances, but uh, Not Dead Yet is, yes. is yes. a show that- Not quite dead. Not, not what? quite dead.
1: It's not not quite dead, I think.
4: No, not dead yet.
1: Not dead yet. Okay, I've watched a couple episodes.
4: Yeah, yeah, and it's it got terrible reviews. Like the show was dead on arrival-ish, but but it's pretty charming. And again, it's got fun guest cast. So it it combines. I I I won't go into. Absolutely got ghosts, but I, Kath and I were my wife and I were watching it. I'd like it to focus a little bit more on. The guest characters than on the series characters but i understand why they're focusing on the series character because it is after all a series so very cool
0: that's excellent uh so a, a very wide variety of uh, viewing choices for everybody out there so before we get to the project that all three of you collaborated on let's get just a little bit about each of you uh just kind of like give us a thumbnail sketch of your background and also feel free to mention how you connected with the other two writers Uh, so rich we'll start with you
2: oh uh, well okay so actually um arnold and i met way back in college uh we were both i was taking a a cinematography class and arnold was too and we both had to make student films so we decided to crew for each other and uh we started collaborating on a lot of other stuff too we did stuff for the local community cable when such a thing was popular and, uh, and then Arnold moved off to Hollywood and I went to try my hand at film school. See if I, I originally get my undergraduate degree in computer engineering. <laughs> and then, uh, but no I was, I, I, yeah, but I got the writing bug and I said, well, let me try this screenwriting thing. And I went to uh, Columbia college in Chicago for a year, but said, you know what, I'm just going to go to Hollywood. Let's give it a shot. And uh, met up with Arnold and his wife out there. Uh, got some jobs on some TV shows. We eventually got to write uh, for um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Star Trek Voyager and a bunch of other fun shows, including uh, the New Adams Family. And then um, once uh, I started having a family and all that kind of stuff, uh, my uh, my wife at the time says, uh, "You know, we got to move to Chicago <laughs> if we're going to raise a family." So, kind of gave that up. But recently, in the last five years or so, have been uh, doing novels, and so. Um, been working on on books and one of the projects I wanted to do was uh reviving a collaboration that Arnold and Lloyd and I had done years ago uh called Rainy and Day. Uh but I'll let Arnold go into that more because that was he, he and Lloyd actually started that project. I was kind of an interloper on that one.
4: Yeah so so yeah as Rich said we met in college <laughs> making movies and it was before Wayne's world when we were doing community cable. Um, and then When I was in in Hollywood, I ended up working at the Paramount Pictures Story Department. And while I was there, one of my jobs was to find books before the internet, to find research. And the executives tasked me with finding an expert on the paranormal for a script that was in development. And so I'm good at my job. And I met Lloyd, uh, who, who was recommended by many, many sources independently as being And while that project didn't get made, Lloyd and I stayed colleagues and and became friends and began developing a project together, which was a TV series about these investigators. And during that time, uh, Rich and I had always collaborated or read each other's work. But we made a commitment to start writing together. And we kind of really, at, at least back then, you needed to be an identity as a writer and to go out to agents it being an ampersand meant they get twice the work for you know the same price but it wasn't like it being partnered with everyone it was we are an entity and so Rich and I made that commitment and so Lloyd and I had this project and we talked about it and we brought Rich in on it and we developed this this project rainy day back when before the x files and everybody said nobody's going to want to do paranormal so let alone a male-female investigative team. So then X-Files kept this in a shelf for 10 years. And then after that, like Rich said, he revived it. But uh, yeah, I'll segue to Lloyd's, uh, how he became the expert he is, so that I found him for Paramount.
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, I've been interested in this subject, in the paranormal, since I was a kid. And I was determined um, to become a parapsychologist and was fortunate enough that <clears throat> after I finished my Whereas I was finishing my undergraduate, uh, there was actually a, a new master's program that had developed, which unfortunately has since uh, seen gone by the wayside uh, here in California at John F. Kennedy University, which is now National University. So I got my master's in parapsychology, worked at a research organization in New York, um, also um, then came back out to JFK to teach. I was on the graduate faculty for, for quite some time uh, teaching parapsychology and other things, actually. I'm still technically on the faculty as a part-time faculty member for there. Uh, in the process, I also um, got huge publicity for our department and for me when Ghostbusters came out as a real-life Ghostbuster, uh, to the point where I ended up with a book deal and and got my first book published in 1986. That was ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, which a number of people have used as a ba- as research for films and other things. Um, I've I've been told actually I was really nice that Whoopi Goldberg a, few, a number of years ago when I met her um, thank me for my book because the uh, the writer of that of Ghost actually used the book as one of a couple of resources for for that movie uh, my family's in television my dad was a producer my uncle a director um, my brother works the Today Show right now so I've been around TV uh, actually I was on TV I'm told when I was six months old apparently as a as a placeholder for something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh been and and i've done a lot of television so i'm really mired in not just the field of parapsychology but also the pop culture aspect of things and as i mentioned earlier i'm a comic book fan too
0: that's great that's a that is a great origin story okay so so rich and arnold you were okay i'm, I'm trying to get the trying to get the timeline right so So Arnold and Lloyd, you were working on the story, but then you brought Rich into it. So how did you go about developing the story? Or did you already kind of know, like, this is what we want it to be. And then, I mean, and when Rich came into it, what did anything change? Was it a big change? Or was it just kind of like, oh, Rich can help, you know, I don't know, fine tune it.
4: I I think by that time, so, so Rich and I had independently written many different things and also began collaborating on... Both uh, specs for everything from Married with Children, uh, uh, Mad About You, The Sims, you know, everything. And so we had been writing a lot together while well, concurrently Lloyd and I had developed the concept for a series about a paranormal investigator and a cop with a near-death experience. And so by that time, we were far along in developing the story, but we hadn't specced out a script for it yet. And so when Rich came on, the three of us worked together and wrote basically a TV movie of what was originally called Psychops and then changed to Rainy Day, Supernatural Sleuths. Um, and uh, so, so the three of us collaborated on the screenplay. Rich and I had already developed a, a way of passing things back and forth. They're sitting in the same room. And I think by that time, Lloyd refresh my memory, I think Rich and I kind of did some of the lifting on the script and then would send it to Lloyd. But Lloyd and I had already outlined the characters, outlined the film.
1: We'd actually had a a rough first draft of a script, too, at that time, too.
4: Yeah. At at that time, it was meant for uh, Anthony Edwards and Brian Dennehy were our dream cast. Right. So you may ask who is going to play Jennifer, the the female. Uh, An executive was the one who came in and advised us that it may be good to have a male-female team. Um, and we loved that idea. So we painstakingly set about revising the script to introduce Jennifer uh, by searching out all the pronouns and changing them from he to she. And everybody said, this is an amazingly written strong female character. And we were, the new secret to writing a strong female character is write a strong character. And uh, so then we had Jennifer and, and Nate and uh, Got a little bit of response, but again, the the initial response back then was nobody wants to do paranormal.
0: Interesting. So okay, so that kind of leads to the inevitable question. So you have this script or screenplay. So how did you make the transition to making it into a book?
4: That's a rich that's a great question. That's a rich reasons. question, apparently.
2: That was my job. So I I got um so after my son kind of hit high school and didn't think I was this cool as, anymore. Uh, and I had extra free time on my hands. I decided, you know, I had a bunch of novels, you know, in the drawer, you know, had, I had started and, um, I, I thought that this would make a great book series because I was looking for an idea for that. And so I, I went back and I looked at the script and I reached out to Arnold Lloyd. I said, Hey guys, what do you think about novelizing this and making it into a series that way? Because we had always, we, we had like, you know, a bunch of story ideas in place A lot of Lloyd's stuff was great source material for this stuff. So I just sat down with the screenplay and novelized it, which was an interesting process because I found myself, you know, with the freedom to not only break free of the constraints of the, you know, two hour TV movie format, but also add additional characters, dive more into their, (coughs) their thoughts, their backstories, and, and create something that, you know, sort of really fleshed out what I thought was our vision for the whole thing in the first place. And it, it turned out really well. We were very, very happy with the way it went. So after I wrote the first draft, sent it off to Lloyd for technical advice. I sent it off to Arnold for story advice. And then we all made notes on it, passed it around to some more people, got some good feedback, made some changes. And then we just said, you know what? Let's get this out there. Let's see what happens. And so that's what we did with that particular version of that was the book near death, um, a rainy day investigation, and uh, we've just released the second book in the series afterlife, which is actually based on one of the my favorite cases that Lloyd has investigated. Segway, uh, oh, segue to Lloyd. <laughs> yeah,
1: loosely, loosely based. I mean, the the, the basic uh, undercurrent yeah. of that is that um, it was kind of the case that made me. Uh, switch from being just simply middle of the road about do ghosts are ghosts real or are they something else psychic to where they're yeah consciousness exists after death it was pretty clear to me in this one case because the amount of communication that um, this young boy he was 12 years old here in the bay area uh, first of all everybody in the family had seen the ghost separately but weren't talking to each other until the kid called them out which is itself pretty interesting Uh, how he knew that they had seen her seen the ghost is because the ghost told him and he, in the process, provided us with family stories that were not written down by anybody. In fact, the woman who, had, who was the ghost um, only had one living relative who was in his early 90s. I was able to track him down because um, there was an attorney uh, involved blocking the, these people who had bought the house the woman had owned um, from contacting him because he was 92 and in an in assisted living facility. Uh, not too far away, and I was able to track him down and talk to him on the phone, and he actually finished every story I was given by this kid from the ghost, um, plus some really interesting insight into what it's like being a ghost, because I asked a lot of those questions. Um, it, it felt, honestly, the situation we were in uh, after hearing everything about the, the situation, of uh, the stories and everything, sitting in a room, a living room, with the mother, a grandmother, um, this kid's grandmother, the kid, an empty chair, and my two other investigators directing questions at the chair, the empty chair, and having him look over and say, Here's what she says. And having him pretty much provide that. I felt like I was in a sitcom. I mean, it really was that kind of situation. Totally friendly ghosts. In fact, apparently the ghost helped him with his homework. So a lot of really kind of cool. Except stuff. the new math. None yeah. of the new math. Well, I don't. I think she was actually pretty good at math too, <laughs> you know, at least what he was seeing uh, at 12. Um, so there was some really kind of cool stuff about this that Rich kind of took and ran with, with the the backstory of what, what we're dealing with in the novel, the mystery in the novel.
2: Yeah. The, the point of the books, each book is, is to sort of uh, present a mystery that is centered around one specific type of paranormal phenomena. So the first book deals with a near-death experience that our main protagonist undergoes but he's a complete skeptic. So he like is trying to find other justifications and rationalizations for all this stuff he's experiencing. And now afterlife is based around a story where a young boy is communicating with a ghost and she just happens to be uh, someone who had hidden some loot from a bank robbery 15 years earlier uh, before she died, but can't quite remember exactly where she put it.
0: Yeah. So I, I, so I, it does raise the question and I'll, uh, this, I'll do this one and then I'll toss it to Justin. So, Originally, OK, you said it was more kind of like a detective kind of story or in, in paranormal investigators. So it made me think, OK, it's kind of maybe it takes itself kind of seriously. But then the way you're describing it and he you know, Lloyd's will talk about it, it felt like it was in a sitcom. Then it's like, is it kind of like mystery comedy? Is it paranormal comedy? I mean, does it just have a little of everything? Is it all ages? Or I mean, do you have to be of a certain age to really get it?
2: No, I think it is pretty much all ages, you know, like teen and above. Um, and it's because it is a full length novel. And it, it, it is very lighthearted at times. Uh, a lot of people really enjoy the interactions and relationships between the characters. And it's, yeah, but it is, it is there's a mystery at the heart of it. So it, at its heart, it is a mystery story. It's, uh, I kind of like put it in the same genre as like a moonlighting. Okay. If people That's remember amazing. that. <laughs> my, assume- my, my cultural references are so old.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, honestly, if you, you know, if, if folks who know me and take my classes, my parapsychology online classes and such, There's, I, I try to bring humor into everything because being lighthearted, being humorous, even in my investigations, honestly, because it really kind of cuts through any fear that people might have. So it, it really is the fact that while it may not be straight comedy, there's a lot of humor out here. And, and certainly in the situations that I deal with and the people that I deal with i'll
3: say lloyd i really love your toys that's awesome good stuff thank you thank you very much
1: it's <laughs> only a little uh, tiny portion of what's actually here around me so awesome
3: yeah and I, the nonfiction books look awesome i'm wondering before this had you attempted fiction much have you played around in that realm
1: at all i i, I haven't submitted i mean I, in college i wrote a bunch of stories for a creative kind of advanced creative writing uh class um i had I have the intention to write some fiction. I've got a couple of things I've started, like Rich, you know, things in the drawer. Um, at one point, I'll, I'll get to get to actually writing those novels when I have some time to actually write some more. Uh, yeah. But usually people have been after me to write some more nonfiction.
3: Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's a different uh, bug, I feel like, you know, that yeah. eats away at your skull. Uh, <laughs> you got to try to feed both of them at different times. Right, um, right. Yeah, so I've written some books before, and I've written some books with two people and with three people even, so I can understand how it could be complicated, so I'd love to hear more about how that process worked for you all, and uh, what were your uh, lessons learned that you could pass on to other people who might attempt the same?
4: Well, Rich really did a lot of the heavy lifting because he reached out and insisted on putting all our names on it, so we had okay. to come up and do some work. You know, okay. Lloyd Lloyd's done a ton with the research and vetting Jennifer's dialogue and You know, would a parapsychologist say that and would a ghost say that? Um, But we we've kind of developed a way of sharing and and trusting each other with stuff. And I think that would circle back to something that that we've shared with other people is anytime you're collaborating, I think you need to have that conversation up front Mm -hmm. and plan for success. If you don't talk with your partners about what you're trying to do, where you're going to end up, what you're going to do if different things happen then, you know, great best case scenario, you have a wonderful success and suddenly you have a rights issue or, you know, a studio or a network interested and you're not agreeing. Um, I think it's really important to kind of delineate expectations and understanding. So, which which we've known each other for three decades, so so it's there implicitly, but, um, you know, then it was just working out the nudging and, and emailing yeah. and technology and zoom has rich is in chicago i'm in la and lloyd's in san francisco
2: awesome was
3: this your first book rich
2: this was actually the second book i had written okay. uh the first book i, I published um oh, okay cool, cool. yeah the, the first book i wrote was a, a thriller uh called the dead kids club yeah um, i see
3: that's on there and you see so you published that after the fact yeah this one.
2: yeah yeah okay
3: what's that what's that one about i'd love to hear a little bit about that too do you feel like it's in the same brand are you focused on brand at all
2: it's you know what it's not in the same brand this is it's it's um it's more of a like a a series of what i call everyman thrillers what i call ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances and this one is about a, a couple divorced couple whose child is killed in a car accident and the guy who killed the child gets away with it he they have a trial and he's acquitted and they decide, you know what, we're going to take justice into our own hands. And so they plan and al- take an elaborate plan to sort of not only kill the guy, but get away with it, because that's the, the way they feel they need to sort of justify it. It's like, we, we can't allow his justice to take away our lives, too.
3: Yeah.
2: And during the process of this, they get involved with a parent's uh, surviving su- support group, a group of parents who have lost their children. And they meet other parents who are in similar circumstances. And so after they take care of their child's killer, they say, well, maybe we should help out these people, too. And so it becomes sort of a a little dark, uh, almost dexterous type of situation where they become accidental serial killers.
3: Awesome. This is the kind of stuff that I can watch on TV, for sure, and movies. But when I try to read it, it just gets... I get too depressed. It's too, <laughs> it's too
2: yeah, well, well, that's, yeah. that's the thing too. I mean, when I'm, when we're writing, when I'm writing these books too, having a TV background, I find myself thinking about it in terms of TV. So I, I love people tell us that these books read very cinematically uh, because that's how I write them. It's like, I it can't help it. It was spent, we spent what 17, I spent 17 years in Hollywood and uh, about 10 of them, we were, we were writing, uh, making a living as writers. And so it's, it's something that's kind of like baked into my style for this. yeah and uh, and then having Arnold to sort of you know break the stories down with me for the for these novels here, where we will go back and forth. I was like, yeah, you need an idea for this. Let's talk about this. and just to talk it out and then to be able to you know, get source material from Lloyd. Lloyd is an inspiration in many ways he doesn't even realize because I'll just pick up stuff that he's dropping all the time and just incorporate it in the books um in fact i think he's going to be surprised in this next book where i kind of dropped a little something that he kind of like inspired i think unintentionally. he, he hasn't
4: found the cameras that we've hidden in <laughs> okay. that that's why like i he's... have an emf meter
1: yeah. <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> not like for ghosts just for now. finding hidden cameras and bugs <laughs> nice and
3: uh arnold i see that you're not um only focused on one brand either on amazon anyway right
4: I am not. And, and, you know, Rich and I date back to the time we were, we were in the Warner's Comedies Writers Workshop. And back awesome. then you defined yourself as being 8.30 or 9.30 writers, right? Okay, because awesome. it was a totally different kind of sitcom on those hours. With streaming, you know, we, we always enjoyed, we did cable cop, you know, shows and Star Trek Voyager and half hour sitcoms and feature films. And, um, but yeah, I So the first book I did, and this also dated back to Rich and I, uh, when he moved, you know, uh, back to Chicago, um, our writing went a different direction and we continued to develop some features, but I wrote ESP sixth grade sense on my own. My kids were in school at the time. I would go to the book fairs. Uh, My son taught me, you know, when you tell people don't judge a book by a cover, Everybody does. They buy the book based on the cover, you know, at book fairs. And mm-hmm. I wanted to write that kind of book. And and Lloyd actually did the the foreword for that. And it's about a sixth grader who can read minds. And when it doesn't help, you know, secret it, you know, people's minds change. And so I would go to schools and talk about you know writing and talk about ESP. And all of the teachers I knew were younger or, or taught younger grades, K for second. So I wanted to do a book for them. And one of my passion projects is Little Green, which is about a frog who wants to be special and hops around asking, isn't it possible that he could be a horse or a goose or a koi? And it's not. You can't be something you're not. So that was a literacy lesson book that I really got behind championing. And it's 11 years old now. I did a 10th anniversary edition celebrating the 50th anniversary of Reading is fundamental of Southern California together, and you know I just enjoy promoting that. Um, and then these these other projects, a few and and uh, lot, lots. It it's fun. If you know writing is writing. It's people yeah. are starting to realize it used to be if you write for TV you can't write for features. People now realize if you can write you can write.
3: Yeah cross genres too sometimes i'm hearing that more and more with like managers and stuff where they're like nah, don't worry like focus on the brand to get you out there but we're gonna get you everywhere and, and i i like that yeah <laughs> i i like this yeah ESP. and then you have a an image on the front that's kind of reminiscent of what we saw in ghostbusters the bill murray's character the zener cards yes yeah. lloyd
4: lloyd's <laughs> taught me a lot about those and I, I would go to school events and really interesting i brought the old zener cards and would do a very abbreviated version of the test. I think you're supposed to do a hundred throws or something. Lee, I mean it's it's the,
1: the deck is twenty five, so at the minimum you've got to do all twenty five, but
4: Right. And you're supposed to do it several times. Yeah. And I would have people come up and we would record what they felt they perceived. And it it was so regularly twenty percent as as an average. Mm-hmm. And then I had these two kids come up and they they were like eighty percent. 60 to 80 percent they were going through a divorce at home they were going through some hardship Lloyd and I talked about it after because I was like this is crazy they were twins and the trauma or hardship going on were all signs of an increased you know connectivity so it, it was really interesting and not scientific but anecdotally.
3: Yeah, really cool. And I'll go back to Lloyd for last one. I think we'd love to hear about all your screenwriting experience, too, if, if Paul wants to jump back on that, or, or I'll come back to it at the end. But Lloyd, I know my wife would love your books, especially Psychic Dreaming, and it looks really cool, too. A uh, couple questions
1: on that. One, I'm curious, are not all your stuff is self-published? Question mark? Well, Psychic Dreaming is not. Yeah, um, yeah actually. So I have several books out. I have a couple books from Ronin Publishing out of okay. Oakland. Um, I've got the psychic dreaming book. There was another one that Llewellyn actually had out. They just put it out of print called Mind Over Matter. Okay. Uh, ESP Wars East and West is from Crossroads Press. So I've okay. I've gone through different publishers over the years, really and cool. you know it. And I actually teach a publishing class through okay. uh, through National University now. JFK previously, um, you know, self publishing is a really interesting thing. And, and I just was talking to a friend of mine who's an author. He's a mystery author who's published a whole bunch of um, his own novel, self published. Uh, Arnold knows who that is, Richard Wren, and he's 97 now, um, and he's written a kid's book, and I have to talk to Arnold about that, um, and he wanted to know if he should go to an agent and a publisher, and I said, you know, the, you know you're 97. It'll never get published before you die. <laughs> Even if he sell <laughs> it tomorrow, it's still it's going to be sad. a year and a half before it comes out, and yeah. the, the timeline for traditional publishing is horrendous sometimes. I know that from my first book. Um, it's It can be difficult, so... You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm bringing a couple more of my books back into print. I'm going to self-publish them or work with Arnold on that. Uh, I don't have an interest in, unless a publisher wanted to offer me a big advance, I have no interest in going to a regular publisher. You know, a bookstore a bookstore will actually have, for nonfiction, they might have two copies, unless it's already selling well. They might have two copies on the shelf. Those two copies sell. And until the next time that bookstore, that individual bookstore does an inventory unless someone asks for it they may never again order those books ever because of shelf space mm-hmm. so the idea of being in bookstores there are 5000 bookstores or so out there on the in the you know independent and otherwise yeah you know that's 5000 sales but that's not a lot when it comes right yeah. down to it so you know it it really depends yeah it's like you might luck out but who knows but so yeah i'm
3: writing a stuff <laughs> writing stuff related to reincarnation and my wife's working on some book thing related to kind of dream stuff so would this be the book that you'd recommend or do you feel like there's
1: another one that, that you certainly for um psychic dream you know for dreams yeah mm-hmm. uh, i mean it's not it's has a little bit of generally about dreams i actually have a book out um which is only in kindle and nook format i decided not to put it in a hard copy um since it went out of print called reincarnation channeling possession which would be oh, really cool. good if you're writing about reincarnation Yeah. But I also recommend books by Jim Tucker, who is the guy when it comes to investigating uh, reincarnation cases. Oh, really cool. Jim
3: Tucker, huh? Writing that down. Let's see. You hear the click, click, click right now. Okay. (laughs) All right, Paul, you want to hop back in?
0: Yeah, actually. So this is a question about the actual uh, writing. Uh, So this first one's really, I guess, more towards Rich, because you were talking about you're the one who kind of like adapted it from screenplay to novel. So you said it it kind of freed you a little bit. Uh, I'm always curious because... Uh, When I started uh, writing, you know, when I was a kid, I was all about writing books, but then I learned how to write a screenplay and it kind of like forced me to relearn how to do it just for screenplays. And I think it would be really tough for me to try and write a novel now because I'm so used to my, my brain is like hardwired now to just write it in screenplay format. So, you know, real minimal text on the page type of thing. How was it for you? And then the second question, because uh, we've talked about this on the show before, is about outlining. So uh, when you were working on the story, I guess, first for the screenplay and then for the book, Uh, did you already have an idea of what you wanted the story to be or did you kind of make it go along? I mean, I'm one of those people I have to outline before I start on a script, but are you, is that for you as well? Or do you kind of like, Hey, let's just see what happens. So kind of like if Rich, you could handle the the adaptation question and then throw it to the rest of you.
2: Yeah. Well, the adaptation, I, I found the adaptation going from a screen format to a novel to be easier than what I would imagine doing the reverse to be. Um, and and I'm a big fan. I, whenever I see a movie based on a book, I'll go read the book, too, because I want to see how that kind of uh, what the transformations were, what the changes were. And I always, I'm always glad when they kind of like do a different version of it. But in this case, we had basically a really fleshed out outline because we had to screenplay. Now, um, for, when for I was getting
4: after your dad. Different. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So as as I was going through it, though. Things just kind of like kind of came to me, so I had the the outline was basically the screenplay. I didn't write anything else besides that. And as I was going through it, I, just, I found myself saying, "You know what? This uh, Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Day has just one graduate assistant. Wouldn't she have like maybe some other people working for her too? A tech guy, an undergraduate assistant, and stuff like that." And so I was able to throw these other characters in that added additional relationships, additional interactions, and so forth. And then that just kind of like sort of sprouted. And I, I've, I've heard the, the two different types of styles um, called architect and gardener, where you kind of just sort of either plant it out very meticulously and then build it, or you kind of plant the seeds and see what comes up. So, this case, it was kind of a combination of both because we had a very structured story. We knew where it was going to go, we knew who the bad guy was. I think that's important for a mystery. If you're going to write a mystery, I think you need to have that outline. You need to know what the end is going to be there. And then you can just sort of plant the clues along the way and make sure that you're laying the groundwork for for the actual mystery part of it but as it's going along you'll especially in a novel i i find that the characters take you places that you didn't necessarily anticipate so you go down these places and then one of the things that we had sort of instigated for the character of nate was that he was uh an onophile he loved wine and gourmet foods and stuff like that. And so I got a chance to play with that a little bit more and see how that sort of strengthened the relationship between him and Dr. Day. So all of these little moments that kind of built up. And then also uh, we, I threw in a character of his, his great uncle. So the, the, the story starts off in the past. That's one of the things that's with these novels is. They start off in the past with some sort of inciting incident that sort of is the seed for the mystery that unfolds throughout the book. And in this particular case, I said, it'll be kind of fun since it's in the past. Why does it be one of uh, Detective Nate Rainey's relatives who was involved in this case so we can bring that character in and sort of see more of why he became a cop and all that kind of stuff. So those c- sorts of things weren't in the screenplay that we wrote, but they kind of like emerged as I was writing it. And I said, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And that <laughs> I often described as like I just let the characters like lead me where they want to go instead of me telling them what they're doing
0: Uh, during the, so during the, I guess the, the adaptation process, did you ever come up with an idea and then pitch it to the other two and which would take things in a totally different direction? I mean, did you kind of, did you veer off course at all? Or did you just, were you able to just use the screenplay like, okay, this is what is going to happen if we get from point A to point B to point C and so on and so on.
2: Yeah. There, there were some, some, uh, changes in that regard the screenplay I think was a little bit more comedic we had some uh, some visual gags in it and stuff like that that kind of like sort of set more of a comedic tone to it and I kind of like sort of toned those down a little bit um, <laughs> remember one of the scenes in the screenplay was that first time we go to the police office there's people in a holding cell and um, you know you hear uh, someone shout in the background hey somebody booked this clown you see an actual clown walking through the police station, which in a TV show would be very funny to see. It's a great bit. But it's like, you know what? Writing that in a book, it just didn't feel like it, it belonged in that case. And I thought you know, I can tone that down a little bit. Talk a little bit more about what's going on here. Get really into the inside the minds of the characters. It's a, writing in third person. You can sort of like do whatever you want. You're God looking down on the whole scene. You can look inside people's heads. You can uh, understand their motivations, tell their backstories and have all that stuff going on at the same time so it really kind of frees you uh in a way that writing a screenplay doesn't allow you to do because you can only see what you can only write down what people are going to see
4: right right yeah and they're definitely different art forms and rich is a wordsmith i mean he did a great job in embellishing that and i think yeah, a couple of characters got added but yeah. but again your question paul was really great it, it's what one person may see as veering off another, like I don't think Lloyd and I felt anything Rich did was out of character or right. out of subject. And there were one or two questions, especially in relation to the university and, and things where, where he was pushing against, um, you know, some of the, the sexual tension or, or those kind of things where we did have conversations and we really talked about where do we see this going and does it create something in the series and the characters but um but those questions came up because of the nature of a different you know a book is a book and the best version of a book is not going to be this screenplay alone
0: right so so i, I do want to go back to the question about uh, the outlining process so i guess uh so for arnold and lloyd because you were working on one version but it all sounds like rich and arnold you had so when you were combined so when you were developing the stories for each and then you were able to combine them did you have, were there any uh, big disagreements or like, no, we can't do it that way. That's because that way it doesn't work. Or Lloyd would come and say like, well, a, a parapsychologist would never say that sort of thing. I think you alluded to that earlier. So- hey, can
2: I, I just want to, one, one quick story before you get into your, Arnold. One of the first things, one of the first things I wrote was the, the near death experience. And I was completely naive to the whole subject. I mean, I, I was aware of it and stuff. And, and my logical brain, I'm like thinking, okay, you're dead. You're shed of all your physical accoutrements, right? And so as you're like floating down this tunnel of light, you know, toward the light, I envisioned you being naked. And Lloyd came back to me and said, yeah, no. <laughs> do you, when, you, <laughs> yeah. when you think of yourself, you know, when you pick, picture yourself in your mind, do you picture yourself naked. No, of course not. And when you're in that sort of psychic mode, that's that consciousness, why wouldn't they think of themselves with clothes on as well? And so that was one of the things that kind of like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of like, really connected me and grounded me to the whole thing it's like because okay now it's not just some sort of like physical thing that's happening that you, has a logical explanation there's other aspects of it around the consciousness that you have to consider
1: you know when i when i was growing up uh one of my first recollections of a ghost tv show besides casper was a show called topper oh and as i was getting interested in in parapsychology and all of this stuff i always wondered so, so, we're in the world did, did uh, the Kirby's get their clothing from? Because they were always changing their clothes. I mean, let alone how did they drink any alcohol? That was a different story uh, in that show. And it's something that you had to dig when I was was getting into the field in the literature, you had to dig back quite a ways. Although finally someone else wrote a a journal article about it as well. Um, And it was a question that I asked that kid to ask the ghost. Uh, and it's something that we were able to kind of piece together because if you look cross-culturally, people, ghosts always show up with clothing unless you are in a culture where there's very little clothing. I guess there could be a, a naked ghost from a nudist colony. That would be something as well. Um, and a lot interestingly enough, most ghosts, when they're visually perceived, because it's not really through your eyes, they're only seen to about their knees. And most of us, when we visualize ourselves, unless you happen to buy a lot of shoes or are into feet, you only think of yourself down about mid thigh or uh, right above your knee that's the picture people come back with so there's certain things that are very common sense that fit in here and i tried to bring that and anytime thing anything came up in the discussions with rich and arnold over the years it's really about that is what are people actually reporting not what does the folklore say
4: yeah to, to get on point to your question i'm sure there were arguments Back then, I mean, when Rich and I would would sit late at night writing half hours, we would argue over individual lines or words within the line, and we would get to the point where one of us would offer to have our pinky cut off because we believed in it so much, and then the other person would back down and be like, okay, if you're willing to give up a finger. (laughs) Thankfully, yeah, we got through that. But I'm sure we've had those conversations. Um, When we revisited this, we were all let's use the term mature that I think we were just thrilled with the collaboration and all on point, but we still would speak up and, and call things out. If it was like, no, you can't do that. Or, you know, I'm not going to do a spoiler on it, but there was one thing rich left out of the book initially. And I was like, but I love that. So he figured out a way to go back and, and keep that in. Um, so, I mean, when we were collaborating you know, Lloyd and I really got very far along in in creating the story and the characters, mm-hmm. and and like he said, a, a treatment, albeit a script, and and I think um, the transition to the script that the three of us did together was just an outgrowth of some of the experience that Rich and I had at the time, right? And um, and again, that's why it had a lot more humor, and and where we were doing stuff in 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 that vein, but. Um, but I, I think you want to fight over things because if you don't care, then if, if you don't care enough to fight over it, it, it may not be as good as it can be. And you have to be working with people. People have compared, you know, Rich and I during the time to a marriage, you know, my wife included, because we work together and it's that kind of partnership. And, and Lloyd, you know, in, in joining that, you have to trust each other enough and you have to speak up. And, and really feel comfortable to argue for what you believe in, but you don't need to argue just to argue. One of the biggest things I, I think in our collaboration that we got to is sometimes I felt, well, I'm not contributing enough. So I felt bad about that. And Rich would point back, well, no, you help with this or this or, or vice versa. And it's, we all support each other by doing a different part. And we don't need to get in the way of the project. We don't need to get in the way of the creation of the project and we bring our stuff to it. But um, I I think arguments are healthy. But that's also why when you go into it, you need to kind of say, well, who has who has the final say, you know, who's going to have and and we defer to Lloyd on the final say that's anything paranormal because. Who are we to question that? Lloyd and I even did a seminar in in Burbank. Would a ghost say that? Because we were tired of all the people in Hollywood teaching people wrong about the paranormal. And there's a responsibility in, in entertainment. So I think arguing is healthy, but you better have that prenup as to how to get around the argument and move forward.
1: Yeah, and I think it helps to to kind of set the groundwork, as you mentioned before, um, Arnold and Rich, both of you, you know, that you want to kind of lay out the groundwork of how we're going to work together as well. I've done that with my nonfiction collaborations over the years as well. Um, It's really important to know who's going to do what and how much and uh, whose ideas might take precedence sometimes. So you have to do all that.
0: Okay, I have uh, one more question and then I will toss it to Justin. So what's next uh, for the rainy day investigators? Uh, I mean, you just have uh, nonstop ideas for books. You have like, oh, I got one that I've got to write or, you know, we're working on a couple of them now, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, the third book, I'm actually doing the first draft right now. It's called Farsight and it involves the topic of remote viewing, which is something our government was actually involved with um, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Project Stargate and um, so I'm drawing heavily on that as background for this particular mystery um, and uh, it's gonna yeah be, I'm not gonna say too much about it obviously because I want you to read it the book, great. But, yeah. but it's it's a uh, it's the, the, the other neat thing about these books is that uh, we do do an afterward Lloyd writes an afterward a nonfiction sort of recap of the topics that we covered in the book and you know points you to resources to get more information and that kind of stuff but this one is like, yeah, uh, Lloyd mentioned a book that he had uh, co-written called ESP Wars. And I, I read that one, and I'm like going, oh, this is this is perfect for Rainy and Day, because it's like got all the, the cool intrigue factors to it. You know, government program, and what could you do if someone wanted to use this for nefarious purposes? And, you know, certainly it, it's an intergenerational mystery, too, that spans a long period of time. And so I was like, yeah, let's write this one next. So that's what's coming up next for that.
0: Do you have a uh, projected publication date for that one?
2: I'm shooting for uh October Friday the 13th. Ah. Yeah, oh, the last wow. book was on was January Friday the 13th. Okay. And so you know, trying to shoot for that, so I thought it'd be a good target for that one. And Excellent. all
4: all the books are stand alone to enjoy yeah. the mystery, mm-hmm. the adventure and and really the characters, but obviously we hope people whenever they're introduced will want to read, you know, the, the other
0: adventures
3: sure sure so yeah i just wanted to wrap it up by asking if you have any you know especially because you have the tv experience too thoughts for breaking into tv but now that you're doing books as well thoughts for breaking in as an author and how to get started in either of those worlds you know the quick rapid fire version i guess
2: <laughs> okay well I'll start. Um start i mean just write if you're interested in writing you have to write i mean and that's one of the things i think that is so important that people you know they've got an idea and let, and they want to do it it's like just sit down and do it and if you get stuck on one thing write something else right now i'm in, in between books i'm also doing a series of fiction podcast short stories so i've got that as well that i do to sort of like you know fill the void in between novels and it's a great exercise for me because they're very you know short 20 minute type uh, audio stories a little bit of sound effects in this, so it's kind of like a little mini tv show so it takes me back to my writing roots there and it's and i find myself just sort of like it's a great way to sort of work on my dialogue polish you know my storytelling get all that that stuff going because we i've been writing for decades but i don't think you can stop learning and becoming a better writer so and the only way you do that is by practicing it's like anything else practice
4: Yeah, and after 30 years of writing, I'm still learning new. I'm in the fourth of four semesters getting an MFA in screenwriting at Cal State University, Northridge. And I'm getting that so I can teach and and really excited about doing that, but also developing an original pilot and an original feature as the feature as my thesis project. And I mean, I went into it, you know, at an age that, that most people are being pushed out of academia. And and going into it with my eyes open, but really enjoying the opportunity to learn. One of the things that I've heard and and that I I caution to to take with a grain of salt maybe is um there's a lot of advice to write whatever you know you want to write half hour you want to write features you want to write comedy you want uh, it is absolutely true that we know you can write different things but i do think rich and i were able to sell tv and and break in, in in a way because we focus for a time we literally spent a couple of years focused on half hours we chose that for a reason i was actually working in the feature office at paramount so every time we started a feature a script would come in and be covered that was a similar idea because all of these ideas are done so you know a, a noted story analyst and guru chris vogler taught a course we took in You know, he was someone who early on said, if you have one idea, don't be a writer. Uh, You know, I mean, you need, it's the execution. So to Rich's point, you have to be writing, you have to be creating. But a lot of times people either write the same script over and over and over a hundred times when maybe they should move on and write something else with what they've learned and heard, or they write something different every time, never going back to rewrite a project that is closer and not putting the work in to get it to the next level where they share it and get that feedback. So I think focusing on something, and if you're choosing TV, I if somebody's going to hire you, listen to them. But if you're choosing TV, a lot of people are talking about how now people want original pilots. And, And Rich and I were fortunate actually to write an original pilot that did sell while we were doing episodics, but that was rare. And, and it didn't get made. But the the episodics, the rule of the game was you had to write for existing episodes and there's a formula to that and there's a structure to that. So even if you're going to write an original pilot or an original script, following the formula is one of the best ways to learn. And I'm I'm not a painter, but I think about Michelangelo and, and Leonardo da Vinci and it's like all the painters who've learned from the masters. It's there's a reason that those steps were successful in the past and i encourage anyone that i talk to 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 kind of do that homework whether it's in a school setting or a homeschool setting you know if you want to write for tv you got to watch tv if you want to write books you have to read books you know if if you're not aware of what's out there if you you know you're you're not giving yourself the most advantage in pursuing a career
1: and I think if you're going to write books, uh, just know that even if you go with a major publisher, unless you're one of those people who looks out the, what, 0.01% who gets the huge advances, uh, assume you're you're the promotion manager, you are the the PR agent, you are the marketing person, you are
4: everything at that point. You're also the investor.
1: You're the investor, yeah. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, you're doing
4: everything. If, um, yeah. If it, If you're going into writing to make money, <laughs> don't. Um, if you make money from it, that's wonderful. That's and and the old saying, I, I get turned off with the do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. What's wrong with work? Work is a good thing. It, I don't think it should be negative. But you, it's good if you enjoy what you're doing. And the I, I took a while going to schools. It, it was hard to go to career day as a writer. My day job, I pay bills as an accountant. You know, and I joke that I pay bills by paying bills. And, you know, nobody wanted a career day visit from an accountant. They want a career day visit from an author. But I will say that whatever career you pursue, being able to write and communicate is is valuable, is, is going to serve you well in any career.
1: And, and I can add one more thing. And that is, if you're an author, learn how to speak to people, too. Because you want to be a good interview on a podcast. <laughs> And you want to be able to talk to large groups as well, about, mm-hmm. yourself, about writing or about the subject matter that you're writing about.
3: Very useful. And how can we get uh, in touch with everybody if, if uh, readers want to follow you on social media or what have you find your books, all that?
2: Well, let me give the abbreviated version here. If you go to our website for the books, rainyandday.com, that's R-A-N-E-Y and D-A-Y-E.com. Uh, go to the the um, the contact link and you'll find all of our links for social media for our, our personal websites for other book pages and so forth like that Perfect. so you'll find everything there you'll also find information about how to get the rainy and day books on amazon audible and then um you'll also see links to my podcast bedtime stories for insomniacs and um uh, and my also personal website so arnold
4: um, yeah, I mean, I'm featured on there and and haven't been as active on social media. So I'll refer people there for now. I do have a website at ArnoldRudnick.com, uh, which features this book and some of the others. Uh, and that's probably the best way to reach me right now.
1: And folks can follow me on Twitter, uh, either at Prof Paranormal or at Lloyd Auerbach. Remember Lloyd is with one L. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Sure. Um, I also have a Facebook page, it's, you know, lloyd.auerbach.author. So you can find me there. I, I do a variety of uh, occasional Facebook lives. Uh, I'm also teaching classes for the Rhine Education Center. That's the oldest laboratory. It's the old Duke Parapsychology Lab. Now it's just on its own. Um, and it's rhine, R-H-I-N-E, edu.org. And I teach courses for, basically, they're adult ed. They're semi-academic. If you want to be graded, I have a lot of students who just take them for fun.
0: Great. All right. Anything else, Paul? No, I think that this is great stuff. I mean, uh, it sounds like a wonderful reading material. I mean, and I love everybody's backstory. So it's it just a uh, real entertainment uh, all around today.
2: Yeah. Thank, Thank
3: you for having us. Friends. Teaching Thanks. my sure. five-year-old the sure. song for Fresh Prince. So now I'll say I have a connection to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, listeners, thank you for checking it out. If you can leave some reviews, that's always appreciated. Go check out their book, uh, books and leave some reviews for those too. I know authors love that. And thank you so much again for listening. This is a Creative Writing Life podcast. I'm Justin Sloan. You can find my books on Amazon as well.
0: And I'm Paul Zeidman. You can check out my screenwriting blog, MaximumZ.blog. I'm also on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z. I've got books on Amazon too, the Go Ahead and Ask series about screenwriting that also includes Pi, which is one of the best things in the world. Uh, like he said, he's Justin. I'm Paul. This has been the Creative Writing Life podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy. Most importantly, go write something.